Well, hey, y'all, I'm so glad to be here with you today. Special hello to everyone watching over in the video cafe as well. And so uh, last week, Pastor Brent kicked off our new series called The Secret to Great Relationships. And he unpacked one of the key postures that we need to have if we want to have great relationships. And that posture was the posture of kneeling. And Jesus modeled this for us because Jesus, even though he was fully God, Jesus chose to kneel at his disciples' feet and to wash their feet, to model this incredible posture for each of us to to show us how to have great relationships. And so today we're going to continue this journey and uncover more uh, characteristics that we need if we want to have great relationships. And so my husband, Wes, and I, we have been married for almost nine years now. So we met when we were 15 years old. We both ran cross country at O'Connor High School down the road. Go Panthers. Nope. All right, yeah, I mean, we're like a big deal, okay? All right, and so um, we ran cross country together in high school, and, uh, but we didn't start dating until we were 21 years old. Um, it's in between like our junior and senior years of college, and then we uh, got married when we were both 23 years old. And let me tell you, all right, I just knew that I had found Mr. Wright. Right, life just seemed easier with Wes. It just seemed simpler somehow, right? He listened to me, he understood me, he made me mixtapes, all right? And y'all, he was really good looking too, okay? Is, is good looking, is good looking. He is. You know, in my previous relationships, it seemed that there was a lot of drama and all of that kind of soap opera type stuff, but it just wasn't like that with Wes. In fact, in the eight years that Wes and I knew each other before we got married, we never had a single fight, not one. And then we got married. <laughs> and it became evident to both of us really, really quickly that there was a lot, it was gonna take a lot more to make our relationship work than just compatibility, than just finding the right person. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Anybody ever thought your relationships were going great, whether that was a relationship with a significant other or a friend or a family, worker, a family member or a co-worker, but then suddenly you wake up and you find yourself in the middle of a relational mess? I've been there too. And you know, the fact is, I have never met anyone that didn't want to have great relationships. Not one person. I've never had one person walk up to me and be like, you know what I want today? Terrible relationships. That's just not what we want. But even though great relationships are something that each and every one of us want, we still struggle to capture it. We all struggle to have great relationships. You know, I think if there was a simple solution, we would have found it by now, and we would all be doing it by now. And so today, I want to present a, a new option for us, a new solution for us. All right? I wanna take us somewhere, but it's somewhere difficult, and it's somewhere challenging. But I promise if you stick with me that you will leave here today with tools that will absolutely help you to have great relationships. Are you guys with me? All right, let's do it. And so there's a common myth when it comes to great relationships. Pastor Brent introduced it to us last week, and the common myth is called the right person myth. And the right person myth works something like this, all right? We believe often that if we could just find the right person or the right people for us, 
that our relationships would just magically work out. And this right person myth runs so deep into our cultural DNA, not just in our romantic relationships, but in all of our relationships. Because somewhere deep down, we believe that our relational issues are someone else's fault. I'm right, you're wrong, and if you would just do things right, it would make my life so much easier. Right, if my husband or my wife or whoever would just be the right person for me, then we could have a great relationship. If my coworkers would just pull their weight, then we could have a great relationship. If my children would just listen, then we could have a great relationship. If my family would just stop arguing about that thing from 17 years ago, then we could have a great relationship. If people would just learn how to drive, if the people in my life, if they would just be the right people for me, if they would just kind of meet my needs and meet my wants, then my life would be perfect. It makes sense, right? But here's the problem. When we believe the right person myth, when we believe this, then whenever relational issues happen in our lives, we start to believe that we may not have found the right people. And so we go looking for them. We go looking for the next Mr. or Mrs. Right. We go and look for the next job with the next right set of coworkers. We go and look for the next right set of friends. And in this, in this toxic cycle that we can get caught in, we just leave this wake of broken relationships behind us. And so I have a question for you. In all of your relationships, every breakup, every conflict, every ongoing argument, what do all of those things have in common? You. You are the common denominator in every relationship, in every breakup, in every relational issue that has ever happened in your entire life. All right, the only circumstance that I wanna exclude from this is if you have been a victim of some kind of abuse or neglect or anything like that. That is not what I am talking about here. But in every other situation, you are absolutely the common denominator in all of your relational issues. And I know this is difficult. This is exactly where it gets difficult. And I know this is hard to hear. And I know I'm really getting in your business here, all right? But if we want great relationships, we have to see beyond what's easy. If we want great relationships, we have to dig in to what is difficult. All right, so I know what some of you guys are thinking right now. All right, someone in here is thinking, all right, Sherry, you know what? That might be true for everyone else, but you don't know my spouse. You don't know my friends. You don't know my family. You don't know my mother-in-law. And you know what, I'm not, you're right, I don't know those people. And I'm not even trying to suggest that everything is 100% your fault. That's just not the case. What I am trying to say is that you cannot control the other people in your relationships. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you wanna save him, no matter how much you want to change her, you cannot change other people. The only people that we can control are ourselves. And so today I wanna shift the focus. I wanna shift our focus from trying to change the people in our lives to trying to make changes ourselves. I wanna shift the focus from trying to find the right person to trying to be the right person so that we can have great relationships. And so how do we do this? 
So some 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave us the solution. Now, when Jesus was here on this earth, he gave us countless truths, but he boils all of those down into a single command. And we can read that in John chapter 15. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. That's the solution. It seems really simple, right? I mean, I guess we can all go home now. We have the answer. But I think the more that we think about this, the more difficult it gets. And I think the reason Jesus just gave us the single command is because he knew it would take everything in us, everything in us, to live this out. All right, so how do we do this? How do we love each other the way that Jesus has loved us? Fortunately, we are not the first people to ask this question. In fact, some of the very first followers of Jesus, they wrestled with this exact thing. And this specific group of people were a, a group of folks from a city called Corinth. And what's cool about these people from Corinth is they are an awful lot like you and me. Or just like most of us, the people in Corinth did not share Jesus' specific religious and ethnic background. All right, like most of us, these folks in Corinth came from a place that had a different set of moral standards and laws. And like most of us, or like, and all of these folks in Corinth, they didn't see Jesus when he was here on this earth, just like us. And so they were trying to figure out what it looked like to follow Jesus after he was gone, just like each and every one of us. And so, uh, a man named Paul, he wrote a letter to these folks in this city called Corinth. And he wanted to break down this single command for these folks, to give them a way to live out this command to love like Jesus. And the first thing that he said about loving like Jesus is this. He said, love is patient. Love is not pushy. Love does not push, it doesn't rush, it is not forceful, it is not manipulative. Love chooses to move at the other person's pace. It does not force them to move at our pace. And what I need for us to catch here is that when we force other people to move at our pace, that's control. It is not love, because love is patient. It's a decision to pause rather than to push. And this is true in all of our relationships. Whether we're pushing someone to change or we're pushing someone to meet our standards or our wants or if we're pushing to make others the right people for us, that's not love because love is patient. And this is what God does for us. You guys imagine this with me for a second. All right, God moves faster than the speed of light. There are no words that can fully capture the speed and the magnitude of God. And yet, he slows down for us. He meets us at our pace. The only reason we know anything about God is because he meets us at our, at our pace and he gives us ways that we can understand him. He gives us truths that we can apply to our lives. He, he came and he lived on this earth and a man called Jesus. God slows down and he moves at our pace intentionally. So we need to learn to move at the pace of those that we love to pause rather than to push, because love is patient. So let's look at the next thing Paul said about living like, loving like Jesus. The next thing he says is love is kind. Now kindness is one of those simple characteristics that I think we can all agree is a component of having a great relationship, 
right? Like we all know we shouldn't be jerks. We should try our very best to be kind. And that's easy when circumstances are good, when everything's going great. It's a lot less easy when things get difficult. Where is kindness? When our relationship with our boss and our coworkers becomes toxic. Where's kindness when our children make the same mistake for the thousandth time? Where is kindness when our family brings up that old conflict once again? Where is kindness when our neighbors let their dogs poop in our yards, right? Where is kindness when our spouse tells us that we're acting like our mother? It's likely nowhere to be found. In intense situations, kindness is really difficult for two different reasons. First of all, being kind in difficult circumstances is certainly not our natural lean. It does not come easy to most of us. And second of all, kindness is difficult in difficult circumstances because in difficult circumstances, kindness can feel an awful lot like weakness. The idea of not armoring up, of softening up, of of not posturing can feel like a lot like being weak. But let's challenge that thought for a minute. Because when we are unkind in difficult circumstances, when we yell and we scream and we put other people down, when we put holes in the drywall, when we talk to people like they're less than us, when we see tears in the eyes of our spouse or we see fear in the faces of our children that we've put there, that is not strength. It's only evidence that you cannot control yourself. And if you cannot control yourself, that is not strength, that is weakness. Love is kind. Kindness is absolutely an expression of strength. Kindness is lending someone else your strength in the midst of their weakness. It's not pointing out their weakness, but rather lifting them up with you. It's doing for others what they can't do for themselves in the moment. Love is kind. Kindness is love's response to weakness. And it's what Jesus did for us. Paul says this in another one of his writings. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loaned us his strength in the midst of our weakness. He showed us immeasurable kindness. And if we want to love like Jesus, if we want to have great relationships, we have to learn to be kind because love is kind. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. All right, love allows the other person in the relationship to shine. It isn't threatened by someone else's accomplishments. It's able, love is able to fully celebrate them. It doesn't have to one-up people. I'll be really honest with you guys, this is an area where I really struggle. Because if I'm not in a good place, I can see other people's successes as a detriment to myself. And when we get in this kind of toxic place, it feels like we need to kind of shove others down so that we can elevate ourselves. This is not what love does. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love is fine with other people being in the spotlight. All right, Jesus did this for us. Even though Jesus was fully God, he did not see equality with God as something that should be grasped. 
All right, in other words, Jesus was always the most important person in the room. All right, every single room that he was ever in for the entirety of his life, he was always the most important person in the room. And yet he chose to live his life as a servant. He knelt and he washed his disciples' feet. He died a criminal's death on a cross. Is it easy for you to let other people shine? When was the last time that you bragged on your spouse in front of other people without talking about yourself? When was the last time you celebrated an accomplishment of your kids without any qualifiers? When was the last time you elevated a coworker's work above your own? When was the last time you got excited for a friend without elevating yourself? Without the, accept, without the ex expectation of reciprocation and with no ulterior motives, when have you supported and loved the people around you without elevating yourself? When have you let them shine? This is how Jesus loves us. And this is how we're called to love others. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And last, love does not dishonor. Of all of the things that we're gonna hear today, this is the most important. Love does not dishonor. All right, but before we can jump into this love does not dishonor thing, I think we need to talk about a word that we do not talk about very much in our culture, and that word is honor. Paul defines honor like this. Um, he says, in Philippians 2.3, he says, in humility, Value others above yourself. Love others above yourself. Honoring someone is valuing others above yourself. Are others actually more valuable than you? No. But you should treat them as if they are. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. Love does not dishonor. Love does not demean, it does not, take, it does not talk down to others, it does not de devalue, love does not dishonor. All right guys, if you are in a relationship where you are consistently being dishonored, where you are consistently being demeaned, where you are constantly being made to feel as if you are less important than the other person, where you are being dishonored, if you're in a relationship where you are being dishonored, you will begin to believe that you are dishonorable. And when you start to believe that you are dishonorable, you will begin behaving dishonorably. You are not dishonorable. It is just not the case. All right, think about it like this. This is just kind of basic economics, all right? The value of something is determined by the price that it will bring, okay? The value of something is determined by the price that it will bring. And so the phone in your pocket, the watch on your wrist, your car in the parking lot, your house that you lived in, their values are all determined by the price that it will bring. You have been bought with a price. But that price is so much more significant than the watch, the phone, the car, or the house because the price that you were bought with was Jesus. Jesus was the price that was paid for you, the price that was paid for me, the price that was paid for every single person in our lives. He died for us. And he treated us with honor even though we did not deserve it in the least. He loved us above himself. All right, Jesus makes you inherently valuable. Jesus makes you inherently worthy of honor. If you're in a relationship where you are consistently dishonored, you need to address that 
because love does not dishonor. All right, y'all, if you're dating right now and you're in a dating relationship where you were consistently dishonored, you need to get out. You need to break up. I mean it. I will help you write the text, okay? Love does not dishonor. If you're sitting next to the person, don't text them right now, though. It's like a... Honoring is how we love like Jesus. We are worthy of honor and we must honor others because love does not dishonor. All right, single folks. Single folks, we have got to learn how to love, how to honor one another in our relationships. Single folks, what if you could commit right now, what if we could commit to never being someone else's regret, to never being another man's regret, to never being another woman's regret? Do you know what this would do for our relationships? Do you know what it would do for you? Love does not dishonor. All right, I know somebody in here is single and they're thinking to themselves right now, they're going, okay, Sherry, I've been thinking about this whole honor thing and that does not sound like a very fun date. I'm not here to tell you how to have fun. I'm here to tell you how to have great relationships and if you want to have great relationships, you have to honor the other person because love does not dishonor. All right, married folks, We have to learn how to honor each other. We have to learn to love our spouse above ourselves. All right, and this is where this gets really, really important to me. Because if you you have children, your children need to see you honor their mother. They need to see you honor their father. Even if you are not together, if you're in a co-parenting situation or whatever your situation is, your children need to see you honor their mother and honor their father. Absolutely, they need to see this. Because if we do not model this for them, how can we ever expect them to honor us? And more important, if we don't model this in in, in front of them, how can we ever expect them to expect honor in their lives when they start dating, when they go get married, when they do all of those things? We have to model this for our children. Love does not dishonor. Honor each other when you're together and when you're apart. Love does not dishonor. All right, bosses, coworkers, managers, especially if you are above somebody in a work situation, this is especially critical for you, all right? Because God has entrusted people under your care, which is a really big deal. If that's the case, you need to honor those people. Y'all, like real talk, if you want teams that are fired up to come to work, that will show up on time, that will exceed your expectations every single time, treat them with honor. Do not demean them, do not dishonor them, do not take advantage of them, honor them and love them the way that Jesus loves us because love does not dishonor. Do not accept dishonor in your relationships and do not ever dishonor someone else. Love does not dishonor. dishonor. Consider others greater than yourself because this is what Jesus has done for us. The secret to great relationships is loving like Jesus. It's not about about finding the right person, it is about becoming the right person. It's about following the example that Jesus has set. All right, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, and it does not dishonor others. If you take on these characteristics, if you learn to love like Jesus, you will have great relationships, great relationships. And so this is what I want you to do today. I want you to pick one. 
All right, don't pick the one that's easiest for you, all right? Pick the one that seems the most difficult. Pick one of these things, and I want you to focus on it, and I want you to lean into it for as long as it takes you and for as many relationships as you can muster. Because if you can just take on one of these correct characteristics, if you can just get a little bit better at it, it will make your relationships better. All right, some of us, we just need to pick one of these, or maybe two, okay? You pick one. But for some of us, we need to pick a relationship. We need to pick a very specific relationship, and if that's you, you already know it. You already know what relationship that you need to pick. And you need to learn to take on these characteristics in this specific relationship. And I promise you that if you do that, if you do the work to take on these characteristics in a specific relationship, it will bleed over into your other relationships and you will have great relationships. Whether you need to focus on a single characteristic or a specific person, lean into that. Work hard on it. If we want great relationships, we have to stop trying to change people and we need to make changes in ourselves. If we wanna have great relationships, we have to stop looking for the right people and we have to start becoming the right person. If we want great relationships, we have to learn to love like Jesus. Will you guys pray with me? So God, right now, I wanna thank you for the relationships that you have entrusted us with. God, I wanna thank you that you have given us such satisfaction by putting people in our lives that we can love and that love us, God. And right now, I pray that you would help us to steward those relationships well. I pray that you would help us to love like you. I pray that you would help us to love in an extravagant manner so that the people in our lives, even if they don't know you, that the love that we show them would lead them to you, God. I pray right now that we would take on these characteristics, even if no one else in our life takes on these characteristics, even if no one else comes halfway, God, that we would go all the way to them, God, and that we would love them in just the extravagant way that you love each and every one of us. Give us the strength to live out these characteristics. Give us the strength to love people well so that we can have great relationships. It's in your name that we pray, amen.